You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the News and Observer and NC Insider Politics Podcast. I'm Don Vaughn, here with Colin Campbell, Will Doran, and Daniel Battaglia. And this week we are talking about what's going to happen within a matter of days. The legislative session that's not the short session, it is a short session. Is it going to be two days or three days? And what's going to happen? We don't know. Let's talk about it. Uh, so who has, have any of us covered like a two day session that was intentional before January was a one day session? Was HB2 a one day or a two day? I can't remember. I think it might've been a one day. I think they had the bill to the governor's desk at like 9 PM and Pat McCrory signed it. So they, you know, they, they can move really fast when they want to. Yeah. HB2 was in May, I think after the 2018 elections, when they did some of like the transfer of powers bills, that was also, it wasn't one day thing, but it was a fairly short amount of time. So we could call it the, the Labor Day session, the pre-labor session, the essential worker session. <laughs> we'll find out. Maybe it'll be the very long session. It'll be the wrap it up so we can campaign again session and get money. <laughs> so what do you guys think we're going to see? It's probably going to be uh, CARES Act money, even though we still don't know from Congress what flexibility we have to spend it. But they've talked a little bit about it. And some of these, um, the House did what they did in the spring was these pre-session meetings. Daniel, you were... Um, you were there for those. What what are they saying? Uh, basically, what I got from the I want to say it was the healthcare committee I covered last week. I just saw so many pop up that we're having in the next week that I'm a little scattered. But basically, they said that they want to um, lay out their budget. This this was the House meeting, so the Senate's doing the same thing. Senate's more sneaky. We don't really see what they're doing behind the scenes, where the House kind of does it out in the open. So. They're apparently both laying out their budgets. The appropriation shares were supposed to be meeting this week with the Senate, and they were going to come to some kind of agreement on what they want to see while waiting for Cooper's um, budget that came out yesterday for the CARES Act. So that's that's my knowledge of the situation. Well, we know, I guess, that Berger and Moore aren't in town. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution had a story that they're at a um, off the coast of Georgia with other um, Republican legislative leaders from other states. So I assume there's some discussion of what North Carolina will be doing there. Um, and then everyone else is probably on the phone or, you know, a Zoom call about it, right? That we're aware of. I mean, hopefully, like, you know, so most of this or all of it really should be held in um, the public light. So... Um, At least they're efficient. I mean, this this saves them having having a bunch of meetings and discussing things when they come back. So that you know, when they're being efficient, they can at least have the bill ready to go on day one. But you know, we'll see if that actually happens or not. Are you saying that government is efficient? Only when people hold all the power in the hands of like five or six people, then it can be are efficient. You saying, are you saying you believe it's going to be efficient? You know, the legislature always has grand intentions of that, but you know. The House is coming back with a brand new rules chairman and a bunch of people in the Senate resign. So, I mean, it's, you know, they, they may have a little bit of a slow startup. We have uh, Colin Campbell, the the government efficiency, Pollyanna. Um, so we can, uh, the next time we have this, we'll see um, how how efficient they were. Maybe they'll be so efficient, it's shorter than than we expect. We'll, we'll find out. I'm sure that um, there'll be lengthy griping of whatever they do from from many people on, on both sides. I, um, Karen Huey, who covers um, 
education issues, as most of our listeners probably know, uh, tweeted out my Cooper budget story the other day with the education highlights. So it's been fun to watch um, people arguing and my Twitter mentions about um, what they think should happen with that. Aren't those so, the best when people fight each other in your Twitter mentions over the course of two or three days and you're tagged in every single tweet? <laughs> you can't you can untag people when you respond. I don't think you Please can do, do it that. On- Please do that. Whoever my Twitter followers is listening to this. <laughs> yeah. So if you're on a desktop, you can when you have a reply, you can uncheck the other people. That's why I usually sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't actually uh, at anybody that I'm referencing in a tweet unless it's to let people know if they want to find out more about who this person is, because then they're in all the replies. And I mean, who doesn't want to follow a, a 20 tweet um, thread of a government meeting? Right. I want to follow. (laughs) So what else are we looking at next week? Do you guys think will happen? Um, I think you're going to see another push uh, from the restaurant industry for some extra funding. Um, Earlier uh, this week, I was, uh, you know, it's a really tough job being a reporter. Sometimes Uh, I was hanging out in the wine cellar of the Angus barn uh, (laughs) on assignment uh, with uh, Senator Tom Tillis was in town and meeting, uh, with some some people here in the restaurant industry, including the Angus Barn people and uh, uh, Lynn Minges, who's obviously the the head of the Restaurant Lobbying Association here, um, uh, Amber Mashakos, who uh, you know her company owns uh, Carolina Ale House. Deverna Agora has a thousand or more employees, um, and they were all pushing for you know at the federal level more PPP funding, more help like that, you know, to help restaurants kind of stay afloat um and uh they have pushed for the same thing uh here at the state level as well um and the earlier this spring the general assembly did you know something not specifically for four restaurants but did have a ppp like loan program uh giving some money out through uh, golden leaf um and so you know you could see you know a, a push to you know, do a program where it's not just loans. It can also, you know, be converted into grants like the federal money was able to. Or yeah. I thought it was really interesting in Cooper's presentation yesterday that this Golden Leaf loan program, which is supposed to be the sort of savior for small businesses, um, he wants to claw back some of that money because it's not getting spent. Apparently there's, according to budget director Charlie Perusi, like a lot of businesses don't really want loans right now because that's, they're gonna have to pay that back eventually. Um, and they want grants instead. So Cooper's budget plan is uh, take about, I think it was about $60 million of that fund that hasn't been spent yet and turn that into some grant programs for small businesses. So it'll be interesting to see what the legislature thinks of that, if they're more eager to see it as a loan than as a grant. But I mean, bottom line is that federal money has to be spent by the end of the year. Yeah, and they kind of, they brought that up yesterday too. But since we mentioned Budget Director Peruthi, I feel like I need to mention that he made what I took as a Donald Rumsfeld reference. Um, longtime listeners will know that I bring up Rumsfeld quotes a lot because I have a Rumsfeld talking doll from those people that watched C-SPAN reporter briefings during the George W. Bush administration, which is myself and uh, maybe five other people. A lot of people at the time. Um, he had, had a pretty... Uh, dry comeback for people and one of the famous quotes is about known knowns and unknown unknowns and it's true you know it was funny at the time but anyway Brucey said one known known I think it was about spending the money by the end of the year or something else that we do know so that is something that we do know that we know about spending that that money but the other thing that uh, like what you guys were saying 
about what is not in the budget uh, or proposed budget is the money for private school vouchers or opportunity scholarships. And uh, people aren't happy about that. Um, he did get a question from um, one of the TV reporters, Bruce, he did about, you know, what about the kids that already use these? And he said, like, they still get them in perpetuity. It's about it's about new money. And they, they described it as just like, you know, kind of clearing out that money. But obviously it's because Cooper doesn't like them, you know, and Republicans like them. So I would yeah. think that education is one of the things that's going to oh, that's going to be a fight for sure because i saw the the press release from senate republicans a week or so ago was basically saying one of the things they want to look at next week is actually expanding eligibility for the voucher program i mean they do have this unspent money the governor's people are correct about that uh, but the question is do you take that money and do you put that towards teacher bonuses in public schools which is what the governor wants or do you make it easier for more families probably people wealthier families uh to take advantage of that private school voucher program and tap into some of that money with republican argument of guess being that you know with schools going online some families are really looking for choices and private schools are more likely than public to give you an uh in-person instruction option um so i think we could see that What'll be interesting is if they tie all this together and throw it in one bill and pass it in two days, which is entirely possible. Again, back to the efficiency thing I mentioned earlier, um, then does the governor veto it? I mean, the the federal money has to get spent by the end of the year or you lose, you know, I think it's close to a billion dollars if they don't allocate it somehow. Um, but if the legislature puts some poison pills for the governor in that, and that puts him in a tough spot of, does he sign something that he vehemently disagrees with, like expanding private school vouchers, or does he go along with it so that, you know, you don't end up not spending that federal dollars? Well, and I think on that note, it'll be interesting to see what um, the left does with their push for Medicaid expansion, because that's come up. It came up yesterday with Governor Cooper and last week, uh, Mandy Cohen, the DHHS secretary, had requested that they look at expanding Medicaid, saying it's easy money to bring into our state um, to help people out. And that even though it's been an issue between the right and the left in our state, this is a different time. It's a different we're dealing with a pandemic and it's something that needs to be looked at to help out residents of North Carolina. So. I mean, the Republicans have never gone for Medicaid expansion. I can't see that happening next week, but I think it's definitely going to be a sticking point with the budget and what they do going forward. Right. I think that's what we saw with you know Cooper's reaction to like, well, it's all the same people last time who didn't want this. You know, like what makes you think this is going to be any different? And he's like, the money's there. We're in a pandemic. He got mad. He got yeah. mad about your question, Dawn. That that fired him up in ways that he rarely gets fired up. <laughs> But it is all the same people, and you are trying to do things that are a big issue. And, and as you know, people that followed well the budget battle last year, there was some a little bit of movement on the House Republican side. But Senate Republicans are just really dug in, and it would be quite the September surprise if uh, if all of a sudden Senate Republicans are like, "Yeah, Medicaid expansion is awesome. Let's do it. Everyone sign it." And you know, I, I don't. I don't think I've got anything on yeah, that. I think uh, Senator Berger would have to get visited by three uh, ghosts of Labor Day's past or something for him to seriously change his mind on Medicaid expansion because he's uh, not shown much uh, inclination to, to change his mind on that topic. I mean, it comes, I think, the, like, you know, the conservative Republican, you know, state government position is about conservative with money and, you know, certain ways and others, Democrats would say, like, well, what about this? But that that conservative with money is what, you know, the rainy day fund and not wanting to spend and everything like that. So, so certainly they 
have the advantage now of a little bit of I told you so of not wanting to spend money. And their biggest complaint about Medicaid expansion is like, what if it costs us money in the future? You know, so it's them not wanting to spend this money. So just the idea of how you spend money, you know, are things going to be rosy um, you know, with the, the next revenue forecast? And I, I can't imagine that it's going to be like, oh, everything is great. The economy is recovered. Everyone has a job. And, you know, that I'd I don't think we're going to be seeing that. What we don't know yet, right, is if what about cuts and layoffs? And, um, you know, that seems to be something that happens in a recession, right? But Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That we seem to have some disagreement that was sort of hinted at yesterday among the budget analyst fiscal people. Um, for those who are not as... as wonky as we are um two branches of government come together a couple times a year for what's known as the consensus revenue forecast so the legislature's fiscal analysts are involved in this and the governor's budget office are involved they basically put their various partisan sides aside and come up with what they think are the um revenue numbers and projections going forward um but what uh, budget director perusi hinted at yesterday in the press conference was that he wanted to come out with a forecast in August and feels like the numbers are better than they thought they were going to be uh, given the recession um, and that they would you know, not be as dire for budget cuts as initially thought. But the uh, memo from the legislature's fiscal research division a week or so back was very much, a, you know, this is a state of uncertainty. We don't know what's coming down uh, the future and we're not going to have any sort of revenue forecast until late September at the earliest. Um, so I think that's where you see that tension of, you know, does this ex- supposedly extra money that came in above the May forecast, can it be spent or is it likely to be needed further down the road? And the governor's side of things says, you know, we think that numbers are going well going forward so we can afford to put those to some critical needs. But you're going to see, I think, the legislature already saying, absolutely not, we can't spend that money because, you know, otherwise cuts are coming and they're going to be a whole lot worse if we spend now. Yeah, fiscal research is great. Like they, uh, was it Barry Boardman, Emma Turner, I think I have the last name right, with with their email. And they're just saying like, um, you know, there's things that we still don't know what's going on with, with coronavirus and um, and just kind of, you have to wait and see and see what happens. And, and one thing in their email was about business recovery. And it's not as much about, I mean, it is partially about that, about when they're allowed to open under, you know, North Carolina or other states with um, executive orders and restrictions, but also are people gonna go? You know, because you can open all the businesses you want, but you still need customers, you know, and, and how is it going to bounce back that way? Um, and we and we still don't know. And, you know, is it going to be down to case count, death rate? You know, I, I talked to Dr. Cohen recently for a story I'm working on, and she talked about, you know, there being the layering of things, like the layering of risk mitigation things you can do with the three W's, but also, um, you know, multiple vaccines and, and other things. So it's not just all of a sudden one, you know, one day the, you know, the, you know we'll have the skies open up and, and coronavirus will be gone, although most, most of us would certainly like to see that, right? Yeah. Do you think, it's, you think we're going to get reopening bills again next week? I mean, it's not technically on their list of things to do, but if you're watching a lot of the Republican rhetoric, particularly from Dan Forrest and others uh, in the legislature, the focus really seems to be on gyms now. I see this line, and I don't know, you know, we haven't had a fact checker go through this yet, but the, the North Carolina is the only state in the country that hasn't reopened gyms. Um, again, like I said, I haven't confirmed that 
particular statistic, but I see it being bandied about a lot, which would seem to lead to me thinking that we might see some legislation on that. Um, and, you know, it will probably meet the same fate as the previous reopening bills, but it certainly, you know, offers an election talking point, if nothing else. Yeah, Colin, I think you're exactly right um, that we we would probably expect to see some reopening bills. Um, you've even, you know, seen some uh, some Democrats, you know, putting out advertisements about, you know, them, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, with small business reopen. I know, uh, you know, Sydney Batch, who's uh, here in the county, put out a mailer uh, showing her at a, at a gym and saying, you know, she's working with small businesses. And that got a whole lot of Republicans uh, very angry when that mailer came out recently because, you know, the Democrats had voted against the the reopening bills. So it, it's clearly, you know, they you know, becoming a political issue in some of these races. Um, and I will say I, I live in Representative Batch's district down here in Southern Wake County, and there are a lot of gyms that certainly appear to be open uh, just from driving around and seeing the parking lots that are filled with yeah, cars. There's that loophole, right, that the attorney general pretty much signed off on that um, if you have a medical condition that requires some sort of physical workout, uh, you can go to the gym. But the gyms are prohibited by, I think, HIPAA laws or something from asking you for a doctor's note at the door. So it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy about going to the gym as they can't ask you if you have a medical condition and you could kind of pretend you have one and then go to the gym. So some gyms are open on that basis, um, even though technically gyms are supposed to be closed. Also with the state of the obesity epidemic in this country, I mean, you know, <laughs> plenty of people <laughs> have, you know, something that a gym could do for them. That's frustrating because I can't even get into a gym to do my physical therapy. <laughs> You must be going to the rule follower gyms who want to uh, you know, do things the right way or something. Mine's just complicated, the physical therapy. I have to have a doctor with me when I do it. So who are these gyms that are claiming that they are open? I want to know. Drive on down to Fuquay, Danielle. They're, half of them, it seems like, are open. <laughs> Actually, I will say my apartment's gym is open. I've been wondering how they've been doing that. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> that's the narking session of the... <laughs> Yeah. Back on reopening, anything else they might reopen? Um, I mean, they've got you know the push from from bars, but Republicans are probably more excited about gyms than you know alcohol in terms of you know firing up their base. Uh, any holidays coming up that might involve reopening? I remember the Fourth of July reopening bills that were going to allow for parades and fireworks. If- well, we celebrate Labor Day by not working, right? So let's hope that they don't make us all work on Labor Day. <laughs> I think with work from home, probably a lot of people will end up working Labor Day anyway, just because, you know, work and home life is completely blended now and nothing matters anymore. Do not work on Labor Day unless you're getting paid time and a half to work on Labor Day. Come on, people. Like, there's a reason we have Labor Day. At least take advantage of it, right? Yeah. But Halloween's coming up, too. You know, that's, you know... I don't know what the you will be a executive orders regarding trick or treating. Will there be an effort to pass a right to trick or treat bill to present prevent said executive orders from happening? Like, you know, the sky's the limit when the legislature's in town, y'all. I feel like you're asking me to get my Halloween trick or treating soapbox out. Um, I'll save that for October. I don't think this is our last short session of the short session either. I feel because when I was with the health care committee, they were looking at doing their needed now list and then their second pot of ask for cares act so i feel like we're coming back and that might be when they start tackling these bigger holidays yeah i mean we know congress isn't going to act before you know the week of the session next week um but 
there's a decent chance we finally get a second coronavirus package by the end of the year. Um, and if that happens, then I think there does have to be a special session. So the only question is whether they set a date for that when they leave town next week or if they adjourn sine die and we get to see the cool like ceremonial handkerchief drop and all the other legislation that's pending gets killed off. And then you have the governor or the legislature call a special session later on whenever that second round of federal dollars shows up. I wonder Should if you really drop a handkerchief during coronavirus i think we need to change what we're dropping that sounds germy maybe drop a like uh you know um white lysol wipe or something instead (laughs) don't waste them (laughs) do we have enough (laughs) can drop a used mask and then like pick it up with gloves (laughs) interestingly my mom is a second grade teacher and they are back in school this week physically in school and part of their list was finding Lysol wipes and I think every student found one so I want to know where y'all are shopping. It's probably the stockpile since you're supposed to send like 10 in every year or something that they didn't send in for spring or something like that. That's always on the school supply list. I mean they need them you know. Some of the parents did say they found them from their stockpiles that they got in March but others are finding them in the stores so I want to know what stores. It's just a matter of production. I'm sure that you can order stuff um, like from Walmart online delivered like for when they when they have it. Maybe we should have some for the um, press dungeon and we go back to the poor circulation then whatever germs are, yeah. are flying around the there. The sanitizer supply looked like it was still going strong down there when I was in the building a couple days ago. So hopefully we'll be good on that front. Uh, we'll see if, if mask usage is up at all uh, around the building. Um, the couple committee meetings I've gone to the last couple weeks, uh, the answer has been, no, it's about the same. Um, you know, the people who are wearing masks a few months ago are still wearing masks. The people who evidently don't want to for whatever reason are still don't want to, even though there's been, you know, cases in the building. Well, there's probably some parallels with the college students that we've seen not wearing masks, right? You think that you're immortal somehow. So. Well, you know, college students and like the sergeant at arms staff and elected officials, they're kind of all in that, you know, I'm immortals uh, category. I mean, the, you know, the sergeant at arms folks are on the, the older side and, you know, they, some of them actually might live forever. I don't know. Coming soon to not a theater near you. <laughs> do we think, speaking of college students, do we think the legislature is going to dive into the whole what should colleges be doing right now debate? You know, obviously the Board of Governors is legislative appointees. They run things. Do you think that, you know, we're going to see any sort of bills on, you know, you know, we've seen some colleges shutting things down, going all remote. We've seen some colleges, you know, kind of holding out, having, you know, still in-person classes. Do y'all expect any sort of movement on that? You know, I've seen floor speeches, at least, don't you think? We could get our floor speech bingo card out and there'll be something like admonishing the students. Yeah, and I would honestly think there would be more of likelihood for K-12. I've seen comments from Republicans that they think there should be some in-person options for K-12 education in public schools, uh, whereas I haven't seen as much hand-wringing over the universities that have switched to all-online classes in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, like I say, sky's the limit, so they could do both. I feel like if you tell the um, higher ed that they need to shut down because of the spread of the virus, then it takes away from the K-12 where we need the right to have a choice to be in person or not. So I think those two things could be actually conflicting next week. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think there's the argument to be made that the fact that we allowed colleges to go back before we were able to get the numbers to a level where we felt comfortable with some level of in-person K-12 instruction means that the numbers are going to be higher 
too high for K-12 instruction to come back anytime soon. And, you know, arguably elementary school kids are more in need of uh, in-person instruction than a, a college student who could more easily adapt to a, an online class. But, you know, here we are. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Right. The example of like, why does the whole class have to get punished because one person misbehaved, you know, so... Yeah, others also. Well, elementary school kids are less likely to have frat parties and keggers without masks and, you know, getting all up in, uh, in each other's faces. Although they'll get all up in each other's faces on the playground, so maybe it evens out. And shouldn't be learning alone on a computer, you know, since parents have jobs too. So. Oh my God. Lively. You don't make the best decisions from 18 to 22. That's not exactly the time to uh, let young adults be free in the world. Sorry, young adults. Yeah, it's almost as if people in charge could also make decisions. So I, I don't know. We'll find out about the 170 people. Is that right? Yeah, that are in charge or think they're in charge in various ways and immoral <laughs> next week. Uh, any last thoughts before we go to Headliner of the Week? Um, all right, we'll be right back with Headliner of the Week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, and we're back with Headliner of the Week. Uh, let's see how the uh, various options did on last week's poll. Uh, so that's what's the way we, we talked about uh, campaign finance scandals all of uh, last week's Domecasts. Um, and our choices for Headliner were public records, mailboxes, and the COVID NC tourism song, which if you listen to last week's podcast, you got to hear a snippet of that uh, delightful ditty that uh, the tourism department of the state has, has come out with. Um, and so it looks like the winner, uh, oh, this is, you know, music to our journalist ears, 44% for public records, followed by mailboxes. And uh, I guess people didn't like the COVID tourism song. Uh, it was a little <laughs> on the obnoxious side, I thought. Um, you so, uh, public records. Uh, public records was mine, although I, I really was rooting for the tourism song. Uh, just any, you know, any excuse to play that again for, for folks. Uh, so, Colin, thanks for nominating that last week, even if it didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for this week's headliner, um, let's start with Dawn. What's your choice? I'm going to think about it after you guys give yours out. So, Danielle, why don't you go first? Well, I'm going to go with the CARES Act money because I think that's what we're going to be looking at next week a lot and hearing about. And so I think that's probably probably boring for a lot of our listeners, but probably the most important for a lot of our listeners. All right. Will? I got to go with uh, Madison Cawthorn, the young 25-year-old uh, GOP congressional candidate out in Western North Carolina trying to replace Mark Meadows. Uh, he did something that basically no other North Carolina Republican did this week, which was get a speaking spot at the RNC, even though it's happening right here in Charlotte. Um, you know, Senator Tom Tillis didn't get to give a speech. Uh, he didn't see speeches going to people like, you know, former Charlotte Mayor Pat McCrory. Um, none of the state's Republican legislative leaders who certainly, you know, could have had a lot to brag on, you know, with, you know, the tax cuts and everything like that that we've passed here. Um, obviously, Tillis was also instrumental in that when he was the Speaker of the House. But you did see Cawthorn get this 
speaking spot, kind of an unknown figure, you know, newcomer. He's only 25 in uh, in politics out in the western part of the state. Uh, Donald Trump called him a, a rising star in GOP politics, uh, but he's also facing some scandals, uh, you know, whether it's from, uh, you know, women coming out and making some of his some accusations against his behavior on dates or if it's, you know, people saying that maybe he's kind of uh, padding his resume a little bit uh, when he talks about some of his uh, career and college choices. So we we wrote a little bit about that. Uh, we got a story online about that, just kind of a, you know, who is this guy, get to know him sort of story. So if you were wondering who this, you know, young guy is who President Trump is touting as the future of the party and really the only North Carolina Republican to be speaking at the Republican convention in North Carolina. Go check that story out. All right. I'm sure Colin is coming up with some obscure uh, things. So I'll go, I'll go next. <laughs> I'm going to say IT support, especially with K-12 schools starting and now with all the colleges going to remote um, only the, I mean, really the the IT support from people who it's a department um, in some sort of educational institution, whether it's you or your family member or a parent or, or your own kid helping you. There's, there's a wide variety of people that are developing computer skills that they didn't have before coronavirus, I don't think. So I'm going to say IT support. All right, All right. Colin. As you correctly forecasted, Don, I have something sort of obscure. I'm going with the town of Beargrass, North Carolina. Uh, they were in the news this week uh, in my story about Governor Cooper uh, asking for an extension to the census response deadline. He's concerned that you know not enough people think total around uh, 60 uh, percent of the state has replied to the census so far. A deadline for that uh, end of September. Currently, he wants it to be end of October to give people more time amid a pandemic to, to fill out that form. Uh, but the state's current champion in census response rates is the town of Beargrass, North Carolina, which is located about an hour and a half uh, east of Raleigh in Martin County. Uh, it boasts, uh, I'd never heard of it before, so I looked it up. Um, per Google Maps, the main landmarks in town are a primitive Baptist church and a charter school. Um, but apparently at one point in time, it was known as the moonshine capital of the world, uh, even though it only has about 100 people in it. So uh, good on Beargrass. Maybe they're sipping some moonshine, filling out their census forms and, you know, uh, being good uh, civic leaders uh, of the state. So I don't know if this goes against parliamentary procedure, but I'm going to have to table my um, my headliner of the week because I realized how you could think you I... are the rules chairman? Okay, I am the rules chair, so I don't have to give you 24 hours notice that the override will be on the calendar. She's got um, the power. <laughs> KNW, KNW, the KNW closing in Cameron Village in Chapel Hill and these other ones, and what a shame that is. So the KNW cafeteria closing, I feel like, um, yeah, I just, it's sad. I've been there so many times, and it's, it's great stuff, and um, so... All right, can I you. can I piggyback on Julian as a hot North Carolina Carolinian? And I'm sorry that my parents' dog just saw a squirrel. Um, I am not a fan of K and W. I've been taken there on dates. Why would you take a date there? It's not great. There's a hook under the table for your purse. Find me another place that has that. There's a there it is. Just your grandma goes on a date, not you know. They've got one. 
I've loved KNW since I, well, I, I liked cafeterias as a kid in Georgia. There was Morrison's Cafeteria, so I think that's why I'm partial to it. Um, but I went to the one in uh, Salem, Virginia, and then moving down here. And there are, some cafeterias aren't as good, but KNW is great. So I'm not bringing up my mom today, but you know you can buy hooks for your purse that like have a weight on it for the table. She has one. It would solve all your problems, Don. And then you don't have the rules. The rules chair does not recognize your criticism of purse books. Just no more dates to KW. Taco Bell's fine, but not KW. Yeah, that's that's probably not a good choice for uh no. It's something where you do and like your extended family of all ages comes into town and everyone can pick their own thing in the cafeteria line. Like that's that's what K dub is for. So. All right, so I switched mine to K dub. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to and uh, hearing our predictions and our carrying on about various political North Carolina things. I'm Don Vaughn for Colin Campbell, Will Doran, and Daniel Battaglia. We'll talk to you next, next time. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.